0: what will be the sign of your coming? An alternate title for today's message could be the fifth and sixth seals. So you might think, oh no, it's going to be grim. Well, it depends on your perspective, I think. Uh, But before we get into what will be the signs of your coming, which is talking about Christ's second coming, let's just take a quick moment and review Jesus' first coming, just so we all this okay scripture tells us that the word who was god you know and was with god set aside his glory to come to us in the flesh in the form of a flesh and blood human being okay furthermore we're told that he did not come into the world to condemn it his purpose was to open up salvation to offer salvation to all who were willing to listen, who were willing to heed God's call to repentance, baptism, and the receiving of the Holy Spirit. And through his life and death, he opened up the doorway to life eternal so that people like you, me, could walk through it. So Jesus was in the flesh. He was the divine king. Even when he was in the flesh, But at that time, he came to tell human beings about the sure coming of the kingdom, the kingdom of God, which he would rule. And that kingdom is now reserved in in heaven, but will be coming to a planet near you, planet Earth, all right, at the appointed time. And those who believe this good news, the good news of the gospel, of the kingdom of God, and that it is coming, and is coming to earth, are instructed to prepare themselves for that appointed time. Well, that was his first coming. That was his first coming in a nutshell, like really small nutshell. That was his first coming. But (coughs) he also clearly taught that he would Come a second time. Quick list of scriptures. You might just want to jot them down. I am not going to turn to them and read them. (coughs) Excuse me. But a quick list of scriptures where there is a clear teaching of a second coming would be John 14, verse 3, verse 18, verse 28. We go through those every year at Passover. You could also look at Matthew 16, verse 27 and Luke 17, verse 30, and finally Acts 1, verse 11, which are all scriptures that speak directly to the second coming. And the disciples clearly understood what he was getting at to mean just that, a second coming. It was not a parable. It wasn't a colloquialism. (laughs) It uh, It was not a riddle. It was not a mystic allegory for the kingdom of God coming into your heart. That's not what they understood. Otherwise, why would they come to him and ask him, What will be the sign of your coming? Which is Matthew 24. Let's go there. And then put your little ribbon in there because we're going to come and go from Matthew 24, Matthew 24, verse 3 is where that particular, um, the title slide comes from. Verse 3, as he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, tell us when will these things be and what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age. So they understood what he was teaching as a second coming. Not a riddle, not a mystery, not a parable, or an allegory of something taking place in your heart. The, those things happen. God does have to rule your heart. But that's not the whole story. So today I would like to go into detail on two of the signs that immediately precede the coming of Christ. I thought it was a good time. You know, it's two days before trumpets. So let's talk about the two signs that come before, before that momentous event in human history. And these are the fifth and the sixth seals, which you will find in the book of Revelation chapter 6. Down? Okay. Excellent. Just As a matter of good housekeeping, let's just clear up the first four seals already. Uh, Jesus' answer to the disciples' question was basically a run-through of the seven seals in Matthew 24. And let's just take a look at what he says here. He answers them. Jesus answered them, See that no one leads you astray. All right, let's start off with the first seal. See that no one leads you astray. For many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ And they'll lead many astray. And you'll hear of wars and rumors of wars. And see that you are not alarmed, for this must take place. But the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and there will be pestilences and plagues in various places. And all these are but the beginning of birth pains. What he's done there is he's gone through these four seals. And I've put them up here on this screen so you can take a look at them. And this is something that we publish in our literature all the time. We basically line up the seals there in Revelation with what Jesus has just talked about. You know, so where you're reading in Revelation, and it's talking about a horse. <laughs> we know that it's got a meaning. The first seal is false religious teaching concerning Jesus. Deception. Second seal, war and fear of war. Third seal, famine. Fourth seal, pestilence and plague. And these line up with uh, four horsemen, all right? Four horsemen of Revelation, which you can read about in Revelation 6, verses 1 through 8, if you, if you want to. And Jesus said, okay, you're going to see this, you're going to hear about all this stuff, but the end is still something in the future, okay? Still something yet future, and then Jesus speaks about something else. The fifth seal. And in Matthew 24, let's pick that up in verse 9 through 14. He says, then they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death and you will be hated by all nations For my name's sake. So you'll be hated because you're followers of me. And then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. And many false prophets will arise and lead people astray. And because lawlessness, teaching against God's law. Because lawlessness will increase, the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony, as a witness to all nations, and then the end will come. Okay, so now we're getting closer. (laughs) We're getting closer to this sign of, of your coming that they asked for. And this lines up with the fifth seal we read of in Revelation 6. Now let's... Put the old ribbon in there in Matthew, and I'm going to go to Revelation, and I'd like to go through the parallel here in Revelation. So Revelation 6, verses 9 through 11. Okay, when he opened the fifth seal, and this is you know if you read the whole sequence, this is a big, it's a show. You know, God does ceremonies; He does shows. And the fifth seal is opened. And I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been killed for the word of God. Killed for the word of God. This is the same thing that Jesus was talking about. And for the witness they had borne. And they cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? And then they were each given a white robe, and they were told to rest a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers should be complete, who were to be killed as they themselves had been. (laughs) That doesn't sound like a lot of fun, does it? No. No, it's not meant to be, is it? No, it's not, not meant to be. Now, getting back to Matthew 24, what Jesus does next when he's going through this whole sequence in Matthew 24, is he shows them and he shows us how to access some additional or greater detail on how persecution would serve as a sign indicating that his coming is imminent. Let me read it first. That's, cha- that's chapter uh, Matthew 24, verse 15. All right. Here's how he goes on. All right. So he's talked about this persecution, and then he says, "So when you see the abomination of desolation, spoken of by the prophet Daniel, standing in the holy place, let the reader understand. That's to you. Let you're saying understand what's being said here. Okay. Why would this be necessary? Why do we need this extra detail about persecution? Well, I put it to you that because persecution is not unique to the end of time. It isn't unique to the end of time at all. Uh, Jesus warned his disciples, he warned his church, that they should expect persecution every step of the way. All along, he said, if they persecuted me, they will persecute you. And so persecution and trouble has hounded the true church of God for 2,000 years. So it's kind of hard to see, you know, 2,000 years under your belt, it's kind of hard to see persecution in and of itself as being some sort of a reliable sign that Christ's return is imminent. So he 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 asks us to zero in on this prophecy in Daniel concerning the abomination of desolation. So Jesus is telling them and is telling you and me to dig in for more information. Let the reader understand. All right. Ribbon in Matthew go to Daniel And uh, let's take a look at three places where this is mentioned in Daniel. Daniel 9, verse 27. Um, This is part of a larger prophecy, but let's just read verse 27. It says, And he shall make a strong covenant with many for one week, and for half of a week he shall put an end to sacrifice and offering." And on the wing of abominations shall come one who makes desolate. Abomination of desolation. I'm a little bit uh, off. I'm using a different Bible. I left, I lo- I left my main Bible in Jacksonville. <laughs> so I'm not reading the translation that I'm used to, but it still works. I mean, So Daniel 9 verse 7 is mentioning an abomination here. Okay, And it, it's part of the 70 weeks prophecy. All right, I don't have time to go into the 70 weeks prophecy right now. Uh, hopefully you know a bit about it. If you don't, ask me. Uh, if you read verse 24, it says 70 weeks are decreed uh, about your people, the holy city, to finish the transgression, to put an end to sin, to atone for iniquity, and bring in everlasting righteousness. The 70 weeks prophecy is like a very sh- small prophecy that really is the en- entire breadth of prophecy. Uh, But what we learn here is that this abomination, in verse 27, is related to the temple. And to sacrifices and worship. So this is is a little bit more detail about this persecution, which includes this abomination. And the abomination is somehow related to the temple, sacrifices, and worship. All right, go to Daniel 11, verse 31. And again, part of a larger prophecy, but it says forces from him shall appear and profane the temple, from him being the king of the north, shall appear and profane the temple and the fortress and shall take away the regular burnt offering and they shall set up the abomination that makes desolate. So here mention of the abomination uh, is mentioning it in relation to this great king from the north who swoops down on Jerusalem and does his dirty deed, which is an abomination, okay? Now the prophecy here, actually I intend to go through it in more detail as we go through the book of Daniel, but the prophecy here is dual. One of those things that happens more than once, all right? And it was fulfilled in the days of Antiochus IV, Antiochus Epiphanes in 167 B.C., Uh, But as Jesus indicates, it's still a future event, that's what he said. However it will be different, you know, it will be different. So what Antiochus did back in 167 BC, in some ways foreshadows persecution related to this abomination process, but it'll be different, it'll be different in some ways. we should be careful as readers of scripture not to go too far in drawing parallels between Antiochus and you know, future prophecies and stuff like that. In summary though, let me just give you a very, another nutshell <laughs> uh, summary. Antiochus was violent. Uh, he was sadistic in his methodology and he specifically outlawed and punished Bible reading And this would be in the territory we know as Israel now. He made it illegal to read the Bible, to possess a copy of the Bible. Uh, He made it illegal for the Jewish people to perform circumcision. People were executed for circumcising their children and not in a very nice way. And temple worship was also banned plus a whole lot more. This guy, Antiochus, had an agenda, which was that he wanted the Jews to assimilate into the the new world order that he thought he was putting together, which was Hellenism, which, you know, could just, like, everybody could be part of it. And he wanted them to assimilate. Now, one more place. Let's take a look at Daniel 12 and read verses 5 through 12 which say this then i daniel and this is the end of the book of daniel here and this gets even more specific then i daniel looked and behold two others stood one on the bank of the stream and, and one on that bank of the stream and and someone said to the man clothed in linen who was above the waters of the stream how long will it be till the end and these th- wonders and i heard the man clothed in linen who was above the waters of the stream and he raised his right hand and his left toward heaven and swore by him who lives forever that it would be for a time times and half a time that's the 1260 days that's the 42 months as i've gone through in the past and that when the shattering of the sorry and that when the shattering of the power of the holy people comes to an end all these things shall be finished I heard, but I did not understand. And then I said, oh, my Lord, what shall be the outcome of these things? And he said, go your way, Daniel. These words are shut up and sealed until the times of the end. Many shall purify themselves, make themselves white, be refined. But the wicked shall act wickedly, and none of the wicked shall understand. But those who are wise shall understand. Let the reader understand. That's what Jesus said. And from the time that the regular burnt offering is taken away and the abomination that makes desolate is set up, there shall be 1,290 days, and blessed is he who arrives at the 130, or say 1,335 days. So here we're given some indication of the duration of these events, okay? We, 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 learned, we learned that there's time, times, and half a time. That's 1,260 days for persecution, all right? And uh, this time is elaborated on more in the book of Revelation. You can read about that in chapter 11, verses 2 and 3. Revelation 12, verse 6 goes into the whole period of 1,260 days. And we generally refer to this time period as, anyone want to guess? What do we call this time period of 1260 days? You know? Remember? The Great Tribulation. The Great Tribulation. And it is a time of persecution. And it's a final end time witness. And uh, there's domination by the beast power, who is the king of the north that Daniel was referring to. And uh, it's all going to kick off with this event called the abomination of desolation. Now what we read there about the timing was that it was also 1290 days for the abomination. But what that is, you've got 1260 days, and then you've got 1290 days. It basically means you've got a 30-day, okay, 30 days, 1290 days, the abomination is told it's going to happen. You've got 30 days, all right? A 30-day warning signal that the great persecution is about to begin, I suppose that's the interval where people are given the option to head for the hills. Uh, The 100, or sorry, 1,335 days, I'm unsure what that signifies, so I'm just gonna let it go, okay? All right, now my next slide. Some will be protected at this time, of this end time persecution. All right there will got to be some good news in here. Revelation 12, verse 14. So there's this mighty time of persecution, and there's a signature event. It is an abomination of some sort that is related to the temple. It is related to worship, and it lasts for 1,290 days as an introduction to a time of persecution. And that's how you would be able to peg this particular time of persecution as, as one that indicates Christ's return is imminent and separated, because there's been horrible persecution of, of the church and all kinds of religious people over the millennia. So you need something a little special to indicate this is, this is the one. Okay, in Revelation 12, verse 14, here's a verse that talks about protection during this time of persecution. But the woman, and that's the church, all right? That is the church. The woman was given the two wings of the great eagle so that she might fly from the serpent. If you read in verse nine, the serpent is Satan who hates the church. Into the wilderness to the place where she is to be nourished Taken care of for a time and times and half a time. Okay? That's the 1260 days, which is what we read about in Daniel. Now, during that awful time, 1260 days or three and a half years, it's also 42 months, some people will be protected. That's good. What does that mean for me? Oh, I don't know. Let's take a look at Revelation 7 and verse 3. And this is about the people who are being protected. And we've got uh, in verse 3, it says, Okay, don't harm the earth or the sea. And this is to the angels, okay? Don't harm the earth or the sea, or the trees, until we have sealed the servants of our God on their foreheads. And then it goes and it talks about who's sealed and how many people might there be. And it says, well, there's 144,000 from among Israel, which you can read in verse four. And then it says in verse nine, and then I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number. So there's lots of people. Lots of people, not just 144,000. There's 144,000 from among Israel, plus there's also a mixed multitude. These are the people who are in some way brought out of the tribulation, okay? Don't want to go into a lot of detail about exactly how all that transpires, but that's what we're told. And so John, who's having this vision, says, well, what does this all mean? And in verse 14, I said, this is John speaking. um, Wait a minute, let's back up to verse 13. Then one of the elders addressed me saying, who are these clothed in white robes and from where have they come? And I said to him, sir, you know, in other words, you tell me, And he said to me, these are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. And they have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Okay. So these are people who are brought out of this tribulation. All right. How do they come out of it? Because they have repented. I don't know at what time. I mean, maybe some, some people miss the whole thing. Maybe some people come out in the middle of it after some suffering. I really don't know, and that's you know, more detail than I want to go into right now. But we're told that these people come out of the Great Tribulation because they have repented. They have truly accepted the blood of Jesus Christ to pay the penalty for their sins, right? They have washed their robes, made them white with the blood of the Lamb. Now, this, we go back to Matthew 24. This also lines up with the overview that Jesus was giving the disciples and offers to us of the seals, all right? In Matthew 24, Jesus talks about this process or some of what's going on here. I'm not going to try and, like, pretend that I know all the details. But what he says is... uh, Let's pick it up in verse 16. Okay, so the, verse 15 mentioned the abomination. All right? There's some particular aspect of persecution that happens. And then in verse 16, he says, okay, so understanding this, as a reader, you understand this. He says, then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. <laughs> Run for your life. <laughs> And let the one who is on the housetop not go down to take what's in his house and let the one who's in the field not turn back to take his cloak. So he's basically saying, run for the hills and don't look back. Okay? And this basically, I believe, lines up with this whole idea of leaving. That some people are in some way able to escape the full brunt of persecution. This is what he's getting at here. Some will be allowed to escape. All right? Now, in Luke's account, you know, the, the Gospels parallel each other, right? So you get a different take on it. Mark, Luke, Matthew. When you read Luke 21, verse 36, he, he says something in addition to telling people, run for your lives. He says, Watch and pray, knowing all these, watch and pray that you are considered worthy to escape. Okay? You can read that in Luke 21, verse 36. And uh, if you read it, if you're reading like the NLT or the ESV, it won't say worthy. It won't say worthy. Actually, let me see what it says in the ESV because that's what I'm reading today. Okay. I miss my regular Bible. Uh, I think the ESV says uh, says it a different way. Verse 36. Yeah, the ESV says, stay awake at all times, praying that you have the strength to escape. <laughs> and I looked into the words, and I think the King James does it way better when it says worthy. That's what the word means. Uh, people who translate ESV or the NIV, they don't like the idea of worthiness. You know, that's, that's basically your, your whole approach to God's word nowadays. Well, that would be works. That would mean you'd actually have to do something. And they don't like that. Let's translate it differently. So that's what you'll see in some of the other translations. Now, okay, it says watch and pray that you're considered worthy. I believe that's the way to look at it based on what I see in the, in the, in the text. Now, I'm not of the opinion that this means that um, you ought to watch the nightly news and just you know, see what's going on and watch. You know? I, I believe that it means watching over the state of your soul. You, know, you might see what's going on in the world and say, ooh, yeah, boy, I better take things seriously. But it's all about the state of your soul, what's going on inside your heart, in your head, your mind. Repenting, overcoming sin, living in God's spirit. Prophecy, you know, it's good. And it can, you know, be a motivator, but the things that are important are the repenting, the overcoming the sin, and the living in the spirit. I also, you know, I think worthy is is the way to uh, look at it, and I think that that means and indicates that there's some sort of objective moral criteria applied to determine. Who is deserving of such deliverance? And that's kind of what worthiness means to me. There's some sort of criteria, and it strikes me that it's moral in nature. I could be wrong. So watch and pray. You are counted worthy. Because some people will escape the persecution. Okay, so next... Oops. Jesus brings in another concept, a time like no other. So when we looked at the, the first seals, all right, there was you know, war, pestilence, all this bad stuff. Well, look, deception and wars and famine and plagues, that's just the story of human history. It's a nasty mess. So... You no, know, that's the history of man for the past 2,000 years. But Jesus said right before his return, it would be a time like no other, which is, I think, significant. Uh, let's read that back to Matthew 24 and uh, verse 21. For then, and this is him continuing on in this whole, you know, talk about what are the signs, that what, how will we know that your coming is imminent? In verse 21, he says, for then there will be a great tribulation, such has not been from the beginning of the world until now, no, nor ever will be. So it is a, it's, a, it's a time in history like nothing that's ever come before and nothing will ever happen again like it. You know, you can, I think there are times in human history where people have said, well, this is definitely the worst thing that's ever happened. And then as human beings, we outdo ourselves and come up with something even more heinous than what we did before. Ugh. So this is a key phrase, all right? And Jesus uses these key phrases. Like I was kind of drawing out there with Daniel, he's pointing back to the prophecies and he's saying, okay, Abomination of desolation, key phrase. Understand this. Go back and look. I think he's doing the same thing with this phrase, time like no other. Okay, and it points back to some prophecies about these same matters uh, that have been, play- been in place for centuries, right? Uh, two places where you see this key phrase, time like no other. Okay, Daniel 12, verse 1. Right, we were just in that neck of the woods. Okay, Read that verse on your own. You'll see that's what is mentioned here. A time like no other. And other places, Joel 2, verse 2. So in this way, Jesus, I believe, is not so much in Matthew 24 dispensing a lot of new information. I think he's explaining the meaning of prophecies that have already been put down and given to the world. So the illusion here in Daniel 12, 12, verse 1 is it's interesting because it introduces and dovetails together with the resurrection. Okay. Um, that's jumping forward to the seventh seal, so I, I don't want to go there right now. I'm going to leave that be. Uh, what I'd like to do is look at Joel. Okay, let's look at Joel 2, verse 2. Joel 2, verse 2. Right after Hosea. Joel is all about the day of the Lord. And uh, in Joel 2, I'm going to start in actually verse 1 let all the inhabitants of the land tremble. Although I think it's interesting that it actually starts off saying blow a trumpet, but that's also moving forward to the seventh seal. It says, let all the inhabitants of the land tremble for the day of the Lord is coming and it is near. It's a day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and thick darkness, like blackness spread on the mountains. A great and powerful people, army of the north. And, uh, they're like has never been before, nor will be again after them. A time like no other throughout the years of all generations. So the phrase that Jesus is using to point us back to these prophecies uh, here is pointing us back to uh, The same idea that this is a signature event in human history. All right, Joel was talking about multiple things. Immediately, he was talking about the Assyrian invasion, overthrow of Israel, which was pretty awful. They were nasty. It was really awful. Nothing had ever happened like it before. But as I mentioned before, somehow we've managed to outdo ourselves. I mean, why do you think that? Think the Assyrian invasion is something? Let me show you World War II. Uh, We're very good at this sort of stuff. So the Assyrian invasion couldn't really answer the prophecy which says this is a time like no other, nor ever will be. It's yet to come. Uh, The old events, whether you're looking at Assyria's invasion or Babylon's invasion, these are types of what is yet to come. And when you read the rest of Joel chapter 2, which is all about the day of the Lord, this army from the north, which we already kind of met in Daniel, it's relentless, terrifying, and it's a battle that's being set up. But if we drop down to uh, Joel 2, verse 10, so we read through all this terrible battle, you know, day-like battle, horrible, yucky, like nothing ever before or will come after. And then in verse 10 it says... The earth quakes before them, and the heavens tremble, and the sun and the moon are darkened, and the stars withdraw their shining. So we're told that before them, announcing their coming, there's another sign. The sun, the moon, and the stars. And what is that? That is the sixth seal. So there's this horrible persecution, armies gathering, it's really awful, and I'm going to go through a little bit more of that on trumpets. There's this terrible persecution, there's a rise of a terrible, strong, mighty power, they're gearing up for war. But before all this goes down, there's one more thing, there's this sixth seal. Okay, now let's get back to Matthew 24. And in Matthew 24, let's read verses 23 through 28. So right after what we read previously about a time like no other, uh, you know, if it wasn't cut short, no one would be left alive. Then if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, or there he is, you know, people basically saying, look, this this is the sign of Christ's coming. I know what's going on. Don't believe them. For false Christs, false prophets will arise. They will perform great signs and wonders so as to lead many astray, if possible, even the elect. So I have told you beforehand. So understand this because I've told you beforehand. So if they say to you, look, he's in the wilderness, don't go out. And if they say, look, he's in some secret inner room, don't believe it. For as the lightning comes from the east and shines as far as the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Wherever the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. Kind of like one of those colloquialisms that we heard about in the reading. I mean, you know, If you see vultures circling around over the highway, you know there's probably a dead deer or something like that at the side of the road. It's a sign, and you can see it. It's in the sky. Jesus tells us, At the time of the great tribulation, there's going to be a lot of deception. There's going to be false teaching. There's going to be deceptive signs and wonders. All claiming to tell people what's really happening. I know what's going on. Christ's here. He's there. He's everywhere. To which Jesus replies, you will know the real deal when you see it. You'll know the real deal when you see it. Something in the skies, something in the skies visible to all people on earth will tell you that his return is imminent. No one will miss it. Everyone will see it like the lightning in the sky. Okay. And then Jesus goes on to talk about the sixth seal sixth seal. Matthew 24, let's take a look at verses 29 and 30. So right after talking about the the corpse and the vultures flying around, he says, immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light and the stars will fall from heaven and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then will appear in heaven, the signs the son of, signs of the Son of Man. And then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And you can, uh, you can also read about that in Revelation 6, verses 12 and 13. So here's a sign. Here is a sign that meets some significant criteria. One, it's so clear that everybody on earth will notice it. Now, that's something everybody would see. If the sun is darkened, everybody's (laughs) going to see that. Second criteria, it is a very well documented prophecy from the Word of God. So, it has been out there and is out there as a witness and a testimony when you see these things this is what's going down folks so people have been told in advance in places where you can find that scriptures you could refer to isaiah 13 verse 10 you could look at isaiah 34 verse 4 i mean i said it was well documented right joel 2 verse 10 zephaniah 1 verse 15 matthew 24 verse 29 in Revelation Revelation 6, verses 12 through 13. So it's a sign that's very well documented. It's not just a little verse I plucked out trying to make a mountain out of a molehill. Another criteria that is met by this sign, it is clearly beyond the ability of any human being or any human device, or i put it to you, any demonic spirit, to conjure up. To make it happen. The sign in the sun and the moon and the stars, it's a disruption to nature. <laughs> it's, a, it's overriding the laws of physics, the rules of astronomy. And that is something that only the God of the Bible can do, as he describes himself. And when it's done, I think it is an unmistakable sign of who is operating. Who is doing this? Who is behind all this? Now, I think the sixth seal has some other significances. It is also a sign that the world as we know it is over. It's the end. It's, it's over. It has come to an end. And we know that. We've talked about it. You know, we go through that all the time. At the Feast of Trumpets, you know, Christ comes to judge the world. You know, days, the days of us being allowed to kind of do our own thing and come up with our own way of doing things contrary to God, it's over. I think that the sixth seal is a very visible sign that, yeah, the world as you know it, it's done. I mean, what is more sure than knowing that when you get up and get out of bed in the morning and you'll look out your little window, that the sun will be up? Does anybody get up in the morning thinking, I wonder if the sun's going to be up today? Anyone? Any hands? <laughs> No, you just say, yep. And you open the drapes and there's the sun. And it's like, ba-ba, every morning, right? It's a sure thing. It's a done deal. Every morning the sun rises, does it not? So if that can be messed with, that can be taken away or significantly altered, anything can be taken away or significantly altered. It's a sign, I think, you know, where God's basically showing in a very graphic way. Everything is up for grabs. And everything will change. What is more sure to you than being able to put your feet on the ground? You know, when you're up in a plane and you're flying around and you get out of the plane, it's kind of nice to get your feet on the ground, you know? And it's a real sure feeling. You know, think, yep, I'm standing, you're standing out in the field there, and just, yep, it's solid. I can take my stand. Nothing's going to happen, right? That's another one of those things that's very sure, isn't it? But when all this stuff starts happening, along with the sun and the moon and the stars, something else happens. The earth underneath our feet begins to quiver. I think it's another way of of just saying, God saying, all right, we're done with words. We're done with words. I'm I'm doing stuff that's gonna reach you where you're at. Everything that you think you can stand on and take a stand on and you think is solid and reliable, everything is up for grabs. Maybe that's not the right way to say it. But everything will change. Everything will change. The message of the coming day of the Lord, which is two days away. You know, I don't mean Christ's return. I mean, the day of trumpets is two days away. The message of the coming day of the Lord is the message that God will intervene in human affairs. At the appointed time. And that it will be announced by unmistakable signs. The message of the coming day of the Lord is a proclamation that God will execute a verdict of condemnation on the governments and the cultural institutions, the deceptive religious teachings of humanity, all that stuff. The old order is going to be uh, turned upside down, everything will be changed. And there's a lot of things that we take for granted. Well, that's just the way things are. That's the way people are. Well, that's the way you get things done, right? There's a lot of stuff like that. And you just think, yeah, you know, you got to break a few eggs to make an omelet. That's just the way the world turns, right? Everything is up for change when God begins to intervene. Nothing that we take for granted, like the rising of the sun in the morning, is something that can't be changed or won't be changed, don't know. The old order will be turned upside down and you know what was first shall be last for example and all that false security that we gain like from a large army or having strong defenses. I mean, you know, that's the way that people in the United States think. <laughs> we have the biggest army in the world. We got the most guns, the most nuclear bombs. Whew, at least I'm in the United States. I'm safe. Woo! It's good to be here, right? Wouldn't want to be in Ukraine. Woo! <clears throat> all the confidence that we put in our bank accounts and all the, or maybe lands and possessions and stuff like that. Everything disappears. And all the certainty, I think this is actually even more, in, you know, gets to the core of it. All the certainty that we have in our philosophies and our understanding of how reality works in the universe will be worthless. Our confidence that our sins and crimes will never be addressed will be shown to be False. The sixth seal lets humanity know that nothing in this world provides a sure foundation, there will be nowhere to stand, there will be nothing left to stand on. There's nowhere to hide from the justice of God. Let's end in Revelation 6 verse 12. And when he opened the sixth seal, I looked, and behold, there was a great earthquake. And the sun became black as sackcloth, and the full moon became like blood, and the stars of the sky fell to the earth as a fig tree sheds its winter fruit when shaken by a gale. The sky vanished like a scroll that is being rolled up, and every mountain and island was removed from its place. Then the kings of the earth and the great ones and the generals and the rich and the powerful and everyone, slave and free, hid themselves in the caves among the rocks of the mountains, calling to the mountains and rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come, and who can stand? Everyone will see it. Everyone will see the fifth and the sixth seals come to pass. They've been documented. We know what to expect, and when they come to pass, I think we'll know it. So everyone will see it, everyone will know it, but not everyone will repent. But you can, and you can start right now.